Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This podcast contains discussions of child abuse, sexual repression and sexual abuse, suicide, racism, misogyny, PTSD and PTSD symptoms, and spiritual oppression and abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we will be mentioning some of these concepts in a general way without any graphic detail. If any of these topics or other triggering topics will be mentioned in great detail, we will let you know at the beginning of each individual episode, as well as in the show notes for that episode. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast and our special coverage of the Josh Duggar trial. My name is Gabrielle Hakon and I am here with my excellent co-host. Hi, I'm Sadie Carpenter. So today we're going to be covering the first week of the Josh Duggar trial, Monday, November 29th with the pre-trial hearing all the way to Friday, December 3rd, when courts closed for the weekend. Yeah, and we have kind of a summary of everything, maybe a little bit of legal analysis and stuff. Uh, Sadie and I are not lawyers. Uh, neither of us have been to law school, but I was on the mock trial team in high school, and uh, we've both seen lots of episodes of Law & Order. So we're going to try to do our best to explain some legal terms here as well uh, when we get into that. So first, I want to give credit to the sources that I've been using to compile this. What I've done for this coverage is we've compiled things from multiple sources to make one narrative that makes sense. Uh, my main sources are The Sun, Emily D. Baker, The Ashley, the Reddit user Nuggets of Chicken, who if you're a Duggar snarker, you know, you love them. Uh, and then also some reporters for KNWA, the news station out of Fayetteville, Arkansas specifically C.C. McCandles. 
um, who has been doing a fantastic job with covering this. I do want to give a shout out to the Duggar Snark subreddit. I am so proud so far of the nuanced discussion on there. The mods have been doing so much work to keep this subreddit free of salacious and potentially triggering descriptions. The uh, Just major shout out to the mods of that sub. They have been working extremely hard and they're much appreciated. Yeah, this is a very, very creepy case and it needs to be treated with sensitivity. So that's what we're really trying to do here. And I think that that's the best way to go forward. Yeah. And, and to that point, this entire episode is a trigger warning, of course, for child sexual assault and child sexual assault images and materials. We are going to go ahead and follow the lead of the mods of Duggar Snark and other leaders in the online Duggar discussion and completely eliminate all graphic details. Um, in graphic descriptions of what is going on in the images that Josh Duggar allegedly downloaded. You can look the descriptions up if you want, uh, but we're not going to describe them on this show. Yes, I, I appreciate the leadership of the mods of Duggar Snark because I think they're leading our entire online community, including content creators like us, into w- the right way to handle this. Oh, I do. What I was going to say is I do think that there are valid reasons to want to know some of the details of what this entails. There are also valid reasons to not want to know. If you want to know, The Sun has published more than I think they ethically should have. If you do not want to know, the Ashley's coverage and Duggar Snark Reddit are your best bets. News sources fall some typically fall somewhere in the middle, like the KNWA articles fall somewhere in the middle. Of course, this is this is to protect our listeners, but it's also to protect Gabrielle, who has to consume whatever we talk about multiple times in the course of editing an episode. And I bring that up because I know that there are some listeners who need to hear us talk about this. And I know that there are some people who need to not hear us talk about this. So please take care of yourself during this time. We love you. And if you skip an episode because you can't handle the subject material, that is a good and a valid choice, and we feel proud of you for taking care of yourself. This is not the first episode that we have where we're talking about this case. We have other episodes, um, one where we talk, I think one was called The Pest Arrested from May, back when he was first arrested. We had another one also in May, and then we had a legal update, I think a month or a month and a half ago. If you also want to know information about the Duggars in general, and uh, particularly about Josh Duggar from us, uh, our episode 16 and episode 17, we basically give you a, a rundown of this family, what their whole deal is, everything about them. Today, we're going to be focused specifically on what's happened in this case this week, in this trial this week. Before we get into what's been going on, uh, just want to say that the Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast. We usually talk about Sadie's life in and escape from the independent fundamental Baptist cult, but we talk about this cult, we talk about other cults, and we talk about religion, we talk about fundamentalism uh, and the real and present threat that cult-like ideologies have on society as a whole. And we seek to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion. So if you are a fan of the show, uh, you can join our Facebook group, which is going to be facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. You can join our subreddit, which is going to be reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. You can join our Patreon, which is going to be patreon.com slash leaving Eden podcast. I did want to make a quick note. If you're going to discuss this episode in our Facebook group, please feel free to. Um, we are going to ask that you um, put a content warning for any and all Josh Duggar trial related posts. How to do that is you just type CW 
Josh Duggar at the very top of your post so that people who want to scroll past can can scroll past. We're going to ask people to be really, really respectful of potential victims, uh, not post graphic descriptions, verbal descriptions of what was in the images he downloaded. If you're going to post something that you think might be extremely triggering to somebody, you can nest that comment. If you can't figure out how to do that, I'm more than happy to show you in the Facebook group. Uh, We have post approval on for the group. So if you post something and it gets rejected, I'll probably send you a message and say, hey, look, we can't talk about this. But if you change this and this and this about your post, then uh, I'll approve it. So that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be we'll be moderating the group because it's super important to me to provide a space where people can discuss this um, in an honest and straightforward way, but also to protect people who really cannot be involved with those conversations. Yeah. So what has Josh Duggar been charged with just as a little recap? Okay, so I'm going to use the legal terms, and this is probably the only time I'll use this term in the episode. Uh, Josh Tugger has been charged with two counts, one count of possessing child pornography and one count of receiving child pornography. We are going to use the much more correct term, child sexual abuse images, in this podcast I am only using that because it is what he has formerly been charged with. And what is the penalty for this crime? What is the uh, the sentencing usually that you see for something like this? I'm going off the top of my head, but I'm 99% sure I'm right on this. The maximum jail sentence for each count is 10 years uh, for a maximum of 20 years. The maximum fine for each count is $250,000 for a maximum fine of $500,000. Wow. So he could potentially be going to jail for the next 20 years. Yes. So what's happened this week? What okay. happened on Monday? Pre-trial hearing. So before cool. we before we went to trial, before we did the jury selection, anything like that, there was evidence that the prosecution was intending to bring up at the trial and the defense wanted to have that evidence suppressed. For those who don't watch Law & Order, uh, if evidence is suppressed, it cannot be brought up in court and it cannot be mentioned to the jury. The reasons for evidence being suppressed are usually a a violation of the accused person's rights. So specifically, the hearing focuses on whether evidence of Josh's past crimes against minors may be introduced to this trial. The point of introducing the evidence from the prosecution standpoint would be to show that he has a sexual interest in minors. The evidence in question includes Josh's admissions on national television, the Megyn Kelly interview with Jim Bob and Michelle, some of the sisters, the police report from when Jim Bob finally went to the police about Josh's former crimes. It also includes more specifically, testimony from Bobby Holt. It's pronounced it's pronounced Bobby. It's spelled B-O-B-Y-E. And all of the the comparisons of the spelling of her name to Kanye are killing me. I was it, about to say Bobby. <laughs> Bobby. Uh, that's not appropriate to make jokes in this no, situation. No, I feel like it is. Like I feel like that is not she's not a victim. She's a witness. And I think we have to find humor in appropriate places and we should take those opportunities. But Bobby, she was uh, one of her daughters was engaged to was uh, in a courtship. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Uh, we've known for quite a while that Josh was betrothed at 14 to a young woman from the Duggars church community whose parents were close friends with the Duggars. It's now been confirmed that this betrothal was to the daughter of the Holt family. 
The betrothal was broken off when Josh Tucker confessed to the Holtz that he had molested his sisters. So this is way back. This is way like the first time that Josh Tucker ended up in big trouble that we know of. So this is in like 2002, 2003, 2004, that area. Yes, I, 2003 sounds right. By the way, uh, we've also heard the story of a IBLP member who had a political campaign and didn't win and blamed it on sin in the camp. And Josh Duggar worked for his campaign and it fa- it came to light that he had been doing something bad, probably just watching porn or other things that non-psychopath teenage boys do. But Josh was forced to confess before the church and shave his, that's when he had to shave his head for punishment. Anyway, this is all the same family. Here's the thing about the Holtz. Bobby took the stand on Monday to give her testimony as part of the pre-trial hearing. And one thing that really stuck out to me is that she described a long, intense confession session with Jim, Bob, and Michelle, and Josh, and her and her husband. And in that session, she said that her husband fell asleep, which irked me. The boy that is courting your daughter is confessing to doing something awful, and you are trying, you're there because you're trying to help him, not only as your potential future son-in-law, but also as a member of your church, and you fall asleep. Ugh. I, I don't know, maybe he has narcolepsy or something, or like sleep apnea. Coffee exists. Yeah, Not to minimize somebody's medical conditions, but... Maybe Jim, Bob, and Michelle are just that boring. uh, More likely. I don't know. I felt like this guy was was really irresponsible to begin with. Maybe he just knew, like, as soon as he made that first confession, he's like, okay, yeah, this is over. I can just, like, zone out now. Okay. You know, that makes sense. (laughs) Like, okay, we're done here. (laughs) So the defense reasoning for Bobby Holt's testimony not going to trial was that they said it should be protected under the fact that under a clergy parishioner privilege. So anything that is told to a member of the clergy in confidence, if it is under certain under certain circumstances, that evidence can be suppressed. Just like things that are said under law, lawyer client privileges. So say you you are a Catholic or becoming a Catholic, and say you went to confessional and you admitted to your priest that you had done some sort of sin, and that sin might be illegal. Say you confess that you robbed a bank. Uh, would That would not be admissible, or would that be admissible? That would not be admissible. Okay. I believe well, there, you there are certain crimes that are exceptions to this. And it also depends on whether the person to whom you are confessing is a mandatory reporter. That changes the list of crimes as well. So it's complicated, but the defense said this falls under clergy privilege. Okay, well, then how did they get it in? Well, the prosecution said uh, a woman can't be clergy in your religion. So you kind of shot yourself in the foot with that. Wow. I just want to say I love this. This is an absolute judo move. Like you cannot play me. You have played yourself. That is so. Wow. So that I thought that was a, a good answer from the prosecution. It's just a dunk. Oh. The evidence that the prosecution wants to introduce about Josh's prior crimes also includes testimony from Jill Duggar Dillard, who has come forward as one of Josh's victims. She's publicly stated that. Jill is on the witness list, but as we are all learning as we receive our armchair law degrees, that doesn't necessarily mean that she will actually be called as a witness. Uh, I have heard uh, and read reports that say everyone on the witness list is going to be called. So that would include Jill. She has not been present at the trial, which is another reason to think that she might get called because witnesses uh, cannot be in court until they are called to the stand. 
So Right. And the reason for that is that if they might hear something from a different witness and it might change their testimony. Yeah, it might for whatever reason cause them to change their testimony. Right. And her husband has been at every day so far, but she has not. So I do think that it seems likely that she'll get called. And she's going to what testify that her brother molested her. That's that seems to be what's going to happen. And the defense was trying to get this thrown out. They were saying that this is not relevant. Right. So the defense is saying that this evidence is not relevant. um, And the prosecution is saying that it is. So this gives me an opportunity to talk about the difference between habit evidence and character evidence. So in this instance, the defense is arguing that Josh Duggar's previous misdeeds, um, so molesting his sisters, are not relevant to this case. And the prosecution is arguing that they are. This leads me to talk about the difference between character evidence and habit evidence. So character evidence is evidence towards the character of a person. Very straightforward. It's right in the name. So if Sadie were on trial and I were defending her and I said, Sadie would never rob a bank. She's a good person. I saw her give $20 to a homeless guy once. That would be character evidence saying Sadie's a good person. Good people don't rob banks. Sadie didn't rob the bank. Character evidence is not admissible to prosecute somebody except under certain exceptions and situations, but we're not going to get into that because that is a whole lot of time uh, that we don't have right here. But if I were trying to say I were on the other side, Sarah, trying to prosecute Sadie for robbing a bank, and I said, Sadie is a bad person. One time she got takeout and she didn't tip the delivery guy. She's obviously guilty. That would not be allowed because Sadie is not on trial for the crime of not tipping a delivery guy. She's on trial for the crime of robbing a bank. Essentially, what the defense is saying in the Josh Duggar case is that Josh is not on trial for molesting his sisters. He is on trial for downloading child sex abuse materials. So the evidence of him molesting his sisters is not relevant. However, the prosecution says, and the judge has agreed with them, that this is not character evidence, that this is habit evidence, and that habit evidence is relevant because it depicts a pattern of behavior. So if Sadie were on trial for robbing a bank and I were the prosecutor, I would be able to say, Sadie robbed this bank. She was convicted three years ago of robbing a different bank with the same MO. It's the same plan. That evidence would be used to show a pattern of behavior. And so this is relevant to this case. So the prosecution has successfully argued that the abuse of his sisters is significantly similar to the abuse in the materials that he was downloading, and therefore it establishes a pattern of behavior, and therefore it is relevant to this case, and therefore it is admissible as evidence. Yes. So we didn't actually get the answer about both of these motions until from the pretrial hearing until Wednesday morning before the start of the trial. But both of those motions were just were decided in the prosecution's favor. So Bobby Holt can testify because women in the IBLP cannot be clergy. Therefore, she was not clergy. Uh, The judge's response to these motions was golden snark on Jim Bob Duggar. Please let me hear it. It was, he called him uh, not credible several times. <laughs> I don't think Jim Bob is credible. Also self-serving. Oh. But Jim Bob, honestly, Jim Bob was was just a piece of crap on the stand about this. Uh, he claimed not to remember the details of his daughter's molestation. Oh, bullshit. Which bullshit. just like, fuck that guy. 
that's just that's awful. He remembered the details just fine when he was on Megan Kelly a few years ago. Can't they just play the tape? I don't. I, I don't even. Uh, I the judge was was not having the judge was not having that. Just that kind of convenient exceptions to misogyny and conveniently lost memories are not going to fly with the Honorable Timothy L. Brooks. No, this. But as they shouldn't, you know. I think that like that that raises a lot of eyebrows if you say I don't remember. Um, and it's your son molesting your daughters. Like you're going to know every single detail of that. You would think you would remember. No matter how many kids you have. Okay, so let's move on. That is the pretrial hearing. Let's move on to Tuesday, November 30th, which is jury selection. There, There's not much news on the actual jury selection, but there are a few things I want to cover under this day. On Tuesday, reporters and the general public were not allowed into the courtroom, uh, but they were allowed to listen from a different room. According to a source on Reddit, the jurors seemed to be surprised they like they didn't know ahead of time what trial they were being called for but that's normal yeah that that is that is normal and correct but it also it also was was slightly surprising to me because i think if i was called for jury duty i would look up what trials were starting around the time that i was being called but then i'd probably disqualify disqualify myself from jury duty so for jury selection they're not trying to pick somebody who knows everything about the case they're trying to pick somebody who knows literally nothing about the case because they're like if you've been following the case in the news then they're going to assume that your opinion is going to be somehow tainted by that by the news coverage of it so that's going to automatically exclude you from um from being on the jury right uh and we're gonna get to that but you know well you know what else will get you dismissed from a jury what if you're married if your kid is married to the brother of the defendant wait that happened that happened a juror in this case was dismissed because his daughter is married to a duggar son wow the good people over on reddit say that three duggar in-laws live in the area and could potentially be called for jury duty I guess they have so many kids that like the chances of somebody who knows one of the Duggars is pretty high. Yeah. Then as part of jury selection, the judge read off potential witness lists. So it's a lot of Homeland Security agents, computer experts, these people that pop up later on down our down our coverage here. The Holts are on the list, and so are both Caleb and Josh Williams. So there's two people that I've met on this witness list. Mike gut feeling says, just from my knowledge of what's going on in this case, I think that Caleb will be called, but Josh won't. He was friends with your brothers, right? Yeah, they weren't best friends or anything. But when we went to fine arts competition at Park Meadows Baptist Church every year, we saw Caleb and Josh and their siblings. I'm interested to see how they present themselves on the stand if they do end up being called to testify. I remember Josh in particular being a very strong public speaker. He often won oratory con- contests at fine arts competition. If uh, he does end up getting called, I'll be interested to read what the reporters have to say about his speaking style. Caleb, w- he was arrested for sexual assault. He was also rumored to be in a courtship with one of the Duggar daughters and he was like living at their McMansion. Suddenly he wasn't. And what, so what, what was going on there? 
So like you said, Caleb was arrested for sexual assault in Illinois. And then I believe that he was sent to live with the Duggars uh, because Josh Duggar at the time that it happened was still in Jesus fixed me mode. I think he was sent to live there so that Jesus could fix him just like Jesus fixed Josh Duggar. Oh, that's that's my theory. But also to get him out of the jurisdiction of where his crime took place. So while Caleb was living in Arkansas, his brother Josh was semi-living there. He was in and out. They both worked for Josh Duggar at the used car lot, the car lot where he downloaded, where someone downloaded child sexual abuse material. There's a lot of evidence that the defense is going to try to pin the crime on someone else. Josh's legal team has said that the password for the computer was on a sticky note beside the computer. So hypothetically, anyone could have used the Linux partition and gotten around Covenant Eyes and downloaded this material. And it really looks like they're going to just go whole hog on the finger pointing and try to create reasonable doubt that way. So in the opening argument, the defense attorney described this as, quote unquote, a classic case of whodunit. Yes, which I don't like. Yeah, that's... I think that's entirely too flippant. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I I have had access to a computer with a Tor browser before, and I did have the password. And even with that, I couldn't figure out how to make the thing work. I think I, I don't think that some rando stumbled onto his computer and thought, oh, hey, look, a computer. No, I should I should look up some illegal, terrible things. Yeah. And you would have to know, like, how to a how to get onto the Linux partition and how to use the Tor browser and specifically yeah. what you were looking for, where to find it. And we're going to get to. We're going to get to that when we get to witness testimony in a few minutes. But uh, suffice to say, I don't think this finger pointing defense is going to be very successful, even considering that Caleb has a prior for sex crimes against a minor. I have a a thing about Caleb. I used to follow him on Instagram. I did not realize that I was. So I followed him on Instagram like back when I got an Instagram before all of these crimes happened. And I did not know that I was still following him on Instagram until he posted when he got out of jail for his sex crimes against a minor was a bit of a bit of a surprise to me that I still followed him at all. I've now been blocked from his account and his account has gone private probably because of the trial. I had someone do some checking, nothing intensive, just looking at his bio and his profile picture, which are public. Uh, and his bio reads Christian, proud father, friend, and father is relating to the child that was a product of when he raped a minor and that just Mm. makes me so mad that just made that just that just makes me incredibly angry that made me throw up in my mouth a little bit just a little bit yeah it's Mm. like it's it's like i cannot describe the physical sensation of rage that fills my body when i talk about this so anyway, anyway, I don't think that he is the person who committed the crime on Josh Tucker's computer, but fuck him too. But it, so it looks like he's the guy that they're probably going to try to pin this on. Which is really something because fundies uh, typically are not about pinning things on other fundies. That would That's a really big violation of the fundy code. And that tells me that Josh's attorneys are really desperate. Just to finish up uh, what I was saying about the potential witnesses, uh, there are a couple Duggar siblings on the witness list. Jill, as I mentioned, also Jedediah, who also worked at the used car lot. I also want to let you know on jury selection that the judge gives jurors an out by stating that some 
child sexual abuse images will be shown to the jury in this trial. And if they cannot handle it, they are welcome to be excused from jury duty. Uh, And nobody from jury pool takes the out, which is interesting from my completely non-expert point of view. That makes this seem like this jury is going to want to be pretty tough. And then the lawyer for the prosecution asks some pretty basic questions. Uh, Justin Gelfland, who is the lawyer for for the defense, asked if anyone has a small business and asked the jury, the potential jury in the jury pool, what is the hardest part of having employees? So that is yet one more indication that they're going to go the route of blaming somebody else who worked at the used car lot. So speaking of their defense, I think that now is a good time for me to talk about reasonable doubt. Yeah, you did You did a little bit of legal research on this. This is sort of just something that I, I feel like a lot of people know, and we hear this term a lot, and maybe some people don't know exactly what it means, but you know, you hear it a lot, especially because there's a lot of trials that are, you know, big national trials that are that are broadcast that people hear about, and then you think, oh, well, this guy definitely did it, but then you know, there's reasonable doubt, so they get off. Basically, the criminal justice system in the United States is based around the idea that it is better to let a guilty person go free than it is to let an innocent person be imprisoned, which makes sense. If only that actually happened in real life. Yeah, as we know, that's not always how it works out, but that's the idea. Uh, and one of the core tenets of this is that is that all 12 members of the jury must be certain beyond a reasonable doubt that the accused has done the crime that they are on trial for. And the burden of the proof is on the state to prove this. So Josh Duggar does not have to prove that he is innocent. He does not have to prove that somebody else did it. He just has to make the jury believe that there is a chance that he didn't do it. As it looks now, the defense is not contesting some of the elements of these charges. They are not contesting the existence of the child sexual abuse materials on this computer. They are not contesting that the computer was at the dealership. They're not contesting that Josh Duggar had access to that computer. What they are contesting is that Josh Duggar is the one who downloaded it. And like I said before, they do not have to prove that he didn't do it. They just have to keep the state from proving that he did. They don't have to prove that someone else did it. They just have to get somebody on the jury to think that somebody else might have done it. So that's basically it. Basically their, uh, their job is to sort of throw sand up into the air and something, if, if something sticks, then he gets off. The only thing that I wanted to add about reasonable doubt is that it is a higher standard than burden. What is it? It's a higher standard than preponderance of evidence. Exactly. So preponderance is 50-50. So if I were suing you for something, then it would have to be by the preponderance of the evidence, which means it's 50-50. That's in civil cases. Which means it's more likely that you're right than I'm right. That's civil cases. For criminal cases, it's reasonable doubt, which is like 100%. It can't be 50%. It can't be like 65%. It's got to be 100%. Right. So that is jury selection. That is what we think about Caleb and Josh Williams, uh, some of the potential witnesses. Are you ready to dive into opening arguments? Yeah, let's go with it. Uh, Wednesday, December 1st. What happened? Wednesday, December 1st. Uh, The morning of December 1st is, as we previously mentioned, when we got our first good news from the trial. Somebody was on top of the court docket and we got that, that decision from the judge to allow Bobby Holt to testify. 
and to allow evidence of his past crimes. Uh, we talked about, we already talked about habit evidence versus character evidence. So the bad news is that Josh has a verifiable habit of being a horrible criminal person. The good news is that there's a good chance that he's going to get put away for it. Starting off Wednesday morning, Anna was again present. She walked in holding hands with Josh, Josh just like she did uh, at all of the pretrial hearings, just like she has done every day that he's been supposed to be in court, which just sounds awful having to be, like, she had to be in court when she was just about to have a baby and now she's having to be in court all day a month after having a baby that just makes me sad yeah i'm not really interested in speculating what's going through her head right now because so I that's am. all people really? i'm gonna let you, I'll, I'll tell you at the end of the episode there's there's some points that i want to highlight and because i i have a i think i have a pretty good idea of where her head might be Austin Forsyth, the husband of Joanna Duggar Forsyth, who was Josh's youngest victim uh, back in the back of the first the first crime. Uh, Austin, the husband, was present at the trial. And as I mentioned, Derek Dillard was also at the trial. Derek has been in law school for the past several years. Uh, he showed up in a proper fitted suit, which I know that you'll appreciate. Uh, he's notably carrying a notebook, which is important because there has been a longstanding rumor that Derek is going to be the one who eventually writes the tell-all book. So this is not only good trial experience for him in his pursuit of a law degree, this may be material for a future book, which I certainly hope that it is. Uh, moving on to opening arguments. Okay, yeah, what's the state saying? Prosecution opening arguments centered around how Homeland Security identified that someone was downloading child sexual assault materials, how the agents narrowed it down to the address by the IP address, and details of the raid on the used car lot. The prosecution gave a detailed timeline of texts sent from Josh's phone and then compared that to the times of the downloads of illegal material. The whole timeline is meant to show that Josh was at the car lot at the time the materials were downloaded. They're going to go further into that on Friday, so I'll lay the timeline out for you then. The big piece of news here is that Josh would text Anna, or excuse me, someone using Josh's phone would text Anna saying something like, got stuck at work, and then a few minutes later, like two minutes later, someone would download adult pornography to the computer. And then five minutes later, there would be a text sent from Josh's phone to Anna saying, there's still customers here. And then a minute after that, the child sexual assault material would be downloaded to the computer. So they're saying, okay, Josh is lying to his wife and saying that he's stuck at work while he's... That's the implication. Ew. Well, we're going to go through the the full detailed timeline when we get to Friday in this case. But that's the, the prosecution's opening arguments. Okay, so what's the defense response to that? What are they saying? The defense opening statement is gross. It started with the phrase, if you like a good mystery, this is the trial for you. Oh, and then man. this is the statement where the defense attorney called it a classic whodunit. See, I like a good mystery, but I don't like child sexual assault materials being downloaded by people that's not my jam right, uh, like if you if you want a mystery there are plenty of other mysteries to solve i feel like even a murder would be more i'd rather you know, solve a murder because you know what uh murder victims don't feel any pain after they have been murdered 
and they can't be re-victimized, like in the sense that they can't be murdered again. That's true. So, and, and this this is not. I'm not. I'm not going to go that direction. This I'm not trying this gross. early in the episode. Okay. This so, guy, like the 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 the, the absolute just lack of any semblance of self-awareness that this defense attorney is like if you like a good mystery here's the trial for you somebody downloaded child sexual assault materials onto this computer who done it like i'm not some big city lawyer but (sighs) this is this is just this is just icky so the defense is not going to try to argue that no illegal materials were downloaded. It is just going to try to blame anybody else other than Josh. I thought he was flippant, and that again makes me mad. <laughs> uh, so the defense in their opening statements, they claim that the Homeland Security investigation was incomplete or bungled. They say that Homeland Security does have evidence that someone downloaded this material, but they don't really have evidence that it was Josh. That's what the defense has to say. The other really interesting thing that the defense brings up right in the opening statements is that Josh was homeschooled and got his GED at 16. They implied that he is too dumb to have set up the partition and the Tor browser. But then they turn right around and also in the opening statements, they say that he uses the toy browser all the time for non-illegal stuff. Also, Josh is good enough with computers to set up multiple Ashley Madison accounts. I, I don't think he's computer illiterate. So the court went to break after opening arguments. Notably, Anna stepped out of the room as the prosecution began presenting evidence. Uh, this is the first time that jurors are shown some of the images that Josh allegedly downloaded. The prosecution started their evidence by questioning Detective Calmer, 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 K-A-L-M-E-R, who has a computer program that gets notifications if someone is using peer-to-peer access uh, to get images that might be child sexual assault materials. So she will look at the images if they are that she will move it on to people who are going to investigate. So she her her program notified her. She contacted she contacted Detective Faulkner who's going to come up in a minute because the address at which these images were being downloaded was in Detective Faulkner's jurisdiction. The government explains how they contacted the internet provider to narrow down the IP address, where the download was happening, go through step-by-step all of the legal red tape that they had to go through to get a search warrant. And then the prosecution shows these images to the jury for the first time. Detective Calmer, I do not envy your job having to... I don't want any of the people in the prosecution's jobs. Having a job where it notifies you if somebody might be downloading child sexual abuse images and then you have to look at it. Because AI can't no. tell for sure. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. But thank goodness somebody's doing it. And I hope that they have all the therapy and all of whatever makes them feel happy. That's a rough job, man. Oh. So the jury, I mean, the jury has had to see many of these images as well, which. Uh, that does not sound like does not sound good. No, I I would take the out on that jury duty. Honestly, I might, and I'm I'm pretty 
I don't know. I, I consider myself pretty tough and I don't think I would want to be on that jury. The jury had screens just for them. So this was not, these images weren't shown to everyone in the courtroom, just to the jury. And here's an interesting legal strategy that I wanted to ask you about. Hmm. The defense lawyer stood up to block Josh from the jury's view as they were seeing these images for the first time. Like, what do you think that is? Maybe I, I'm trying to, maybe they were, he was, it's like a psychological thing where they, they're like, they're going to look at the image and then they're going to look up at Josh and they're going to be like, is this the guy that downloaded? If they can't see him, then they're, maybe they're not going, or maybe he doesn't want to them to see the reaction on his face. Because well, he, he thinks that it might give them away. I don't know. He wouldn't have been able to see it. Everybody's wearing masks for one. But also, he, uh, Josh Duggar would not have been able to see these images because they're on screens that only the jury can see. Yeah, I don't know. That That's interesting so that's, to me. I thought that was interesting. Maybe they were just like, because if you're going to if you're going to look at this, you you look down at the screen and then you look up at the guy. You're like, that's the guy who downloaded them. But then you can't see him. Maybe it. it... I think that's what it is. But I think it's also a risk on the lawyer's part because that might influence the jury to think that he's guilty because the lawyer is blocking him. Either that or he just knows that Josh is going to have like either like a look of shame or a look of of arrogance or a look of self yeah maybe they just can't trust his stupid face there, i mean there's no good expression to have on your face when somebody's looking at, like how do you look innocent that's like, true what, what's an innocent look on your face well i've never seen it on josh duggar's face i can tell you that so the defense cross-examination of detective calmer wasn't much they tried to trip her up on some technical questions and they really tried to get her they tried to make it seem like she wasn't making this case a priority and that it took her too long to get through all the legal red tape but she explains it all again why exactly it took uh like five months between the crime and the raid after her testimony we go to lunch on and that's lunch on wednesday great we got to wednesday at lunch after the lunch break on wednesday the prosecution calls detective faulkner who was an investigator on this case Another new tidbit that we learn about Timeline is that he was working with an active abuse case at the time that he became aware of these downloads from Detective Calmer. So Detective Faulkner made solving his active case a priority because there wasn't direct evidence that children were currently being harmed by Josh Duggar. That's that's the right thing to do. And that answers our question about why did the crime take place in May and they found out about it in June, but they didn't raid the car lot until November. They sent a, another thing that they did during that time is they sent an undercover agent to the car lot disguised as a customer to try to identify how many and what type of electronic devices were present. The undercover agent did not identify the HP computer, probably because it was in a small shack out of sight. Then on November 14th, 2019, the search warrant was signed. The agents moved in. It was three agents from Homeland Security and four computer experts. This is where we get the infamous Josh Duggar statement. Is this this the, is the one. What was somebody downloading child sexual assault materials? Where he told on himself. Where he literally told on himself. So he signed Miranda Wright's statement. 
and he was aware that the agents were about to push the button to start recording when he blurted out without provocation, what is this about? Was somebody downloading child sexual assault material? He did. He said the other one, but I'm not going to say that again. Just, to- mm. just told on himself. Either that or like, he's like, oh, I- I'm sure they're going to... I'm sure they're going to uh, spin this to, well, Josh suspected that somebody else was doing it because they were acting suspiciously, and that's going to be part of their trying to pin it on somebody else. Oh, we'll see. That could, that sounds very plausible. That's going to be their move. I don't know if I... I, I, de- I don't buy it personally, but... I don't either. Uh, I hope no one on the jury does. The agent testifies that since they didn't get that on recording, the agent has to testify that he said it and then the court hears several clips from the recording that was made just after he said that on the recording josh says that he is not going to deny guilt which is interesting he justifies this statement by saying that he's had friends who got in trouble for saying the wrong thing which is a funny thing to say just saying i've got i've got friends who had i'm not going to deny guilt i mean he just I wonder if he is referencing the the uh, law enforcement officer who Jim Bob took him to confess to after the original molestation scandal with his sisters, uh, who is now serving a very long jail sentence for the same thing that Josh Duggar is currently on trial for. I wonder if he's talking about that guy. I wonder if he's talking about Caleb. Mm. Like he definitely could be speaking or josh because he's also been to jail josh williams he could be speaking about any of those three people so i my take on this is that he i think he was just because what when you mirandize somebody you say i have the right you have the right to remain silent and then you ask i mean if they ask did you do it you don't have to tell them that you did it like that's part of your fifth amendment rights is that you don't have to provide evidence of your own guilt so if he says I'm not going to deny guilt that me like he doesn't have if you ask him if he did it, he doesn't have to say one way or the other whether he did or not. So, right. I mean, that's he's perfectly within his rights to say that that doesn't change the fact that. Yeah, I thought it was weird that he had to justify it by saying that he had friends who got in trouble for saying the wrong thing. I feel like he's referencing somebody specific. So uh, that's the prosecution examination of Detective Faulkner defense cross examines tries to undermine his credibility. Specifically, the defense attorney asks why the customers from the used car lot weren't interviewed. There has been some talk as this unfolds about thumb drives that were left in cars by customers who traded in their old cars. It it seems like that is an alternate direction that the defense is trying to explore. Mm. Let me know what you think of this strategy, because in in Friday's testimony, some some, uh, testimony about live thumb drives pops up. Like you plug it in and you can actually boot the the thumb drive. Yeah, like what you're you're booting the computer, like booting the operating system from the drive. That's that's a thing that you can do. So so what they're trying to say is that maybe a customer left a thumb drive in the car that had this live thing on it where you could boot it up, oh and then the God. the images were on that drive. Nah. If if you were a fan of this show, uh. 
you know that Sadie and I became friends when we were working at a a car dealership. Before I had my job in the office uh, doing paperwork on the dealership, I worked on the lot, not selling cars, but just doing other stuff on the lot. You know, when you had when they had a car that got taken in, you know, when they bought a car from somebody, what they would do is it's literally just like, okay, what are we going to do? We're going to clean this out. Everything that is in here that isn't going to go to the future owner is just going to go in the garbage. Like you, you, it, you don't care. It's not like, oh, I found a thumb drive in this car. Let me plug it into my computer. No, you're going to grab that thumb drive and be like, uh, whatever, throw it in the trash. Yeah, I don't know why you would put a mystery thumb drive into your computer, especially not your business computer. No, you're like, you're working. Why? No, that's you're not going to do that. But like and especially the chances of somebody because this is a computer with a Linux partition, which means that to use the Linux partition, you turn on the computer and you have to say, "Okay, I want to boot to Linux. I don't want to boot to whatever Windows operating system they're using to to do this, which is probably what they're using for their business. You're like, let me boot to the Linux and then plug this thumb drive in to get the files off on the Linux boot, not the, the Windows boot. What are the chances of somebody doing that? No. That 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 didn't happen. Yeah, and especially we had the um we had the the agents testify that they found out that these materials were being downloaded because they were going from peer to peer, not from thumb drive to computer. If you plug your thumb drive into something and there's something on it, the government isn't going to know that you're doing that. They're only going to know if it's like this sort of material. This strategy strategy doesn't seem to be super effective. Uh, the defense is. This is the end of court for Wednesday. The defense is going to continue cross-examining Faulkner on Thursday morning. Uh, would you like to take a quick break and come back for Thursday morning? Yeah. Okay. Hey, Sadie here. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode 57. It's a primer episode for new listeners. That episode tells my personal story and gives you all the terms and information that you'll need to know going forward. Also, check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism, so that you can get the whole cult story. If you like our show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes, as well as other bonus content available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, that group is called Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to Amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's Amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
All right, we are back from our break, and we are going to talk now about what happened on Thursday and what happened on Friday in this Josh Duggar trial. So, okay. Sadie, let's start Thursday, December 2nd. What happened? So, the roll call of Duggar family and hangers on present for Thursday. Anna, as always, Derek, who has been sitting up front with Anna throughout this. Uh, Austin Forsyth, who has not been sitting in the family section. He's been sitting in the back. Political move probably. Joanna was present again. So Joanna came in halfway through on Wednesday and she was there again on Thursday, was sitting in the back with Austin. He had his arm around her, seemed very protective, which is appropriate. Also present on Thursday were Justin and Claire Duggar, the newlyweds, and Claire's mother, Hillary Spivy, as well as I believe one of her brothers, one of Claire's brothers was present. This is going to come back later, so hang in there. The defense continues to cross-examine Agent Faulkner, which was started on Wednesday afternoon. The defense has, as evidence, checks from the used car lot that were made out to Caleb Williams from May of 2019, which is, in fact, the month that the crime was committed. But they don't have evidence that he was present on the day that the crime was committed. Agent Faulkner Mm -hmm. says that Caleb was in Illinois at the actual time of the crime. The defense reveals that Caleb works in the Bitcoin slash e-commerce field. And they ask Mm -hmm. Agent Faulkner about evidence of hacking or remote access to the HP computer in question. So that's another point towards the defense trying to cast reasonable doubt, maybe even trying to claim that Caleb accessed this computer remotely. Put that under your hat. This is all going to come back at least one more time. Maybe Caleb is like, yeah, I use the Linux partition, but I used it to install Bitcoin mining on the work computer. He's like, I work in Bitcoin and e-commerce. No, you. I don't think I don't think he actually I don't know what he does. I, I'm not I'm I, I don't even know what to say about that before he blocked me on Instagram he was posting graphic like hire me for graphic design work t- type stuff maybe he just like read about some Bitcoin stuff on Reddit and he's like I can do this that's uh, all the <laughs> confidence of a fundy man all the confidence of a fundy man being like I'm gonna get rich off of crypto I wonder what like what is the <laughs> the Venn diagram of dudes who are into crypto and dudes who are fundies? Why don't that you is... hold on to that question? Because I actually have something to say about that, but we're just not there yet. Okay. The defense says that there are no forensic documents to show that other Carlot employees' phones were checked and cleared by Homeland Security. I don't think the Carlot had formally other employees at the time. So maybe that would be why. Yeah. The next witness for the prosecution is Matthew Waller, and this one gets fairly interesting. Matthew Waller is a distant Duggar relative by marriage. He is the brother of David Waller, who is married to Anna Duggar's sister, Priscilla Keller Waller. We don't have time to get further into Anna's family than that. They're kind of a shit show, and now they're unfortunately related to both Josh Duggar and Jill Rodriguez. Oy vey. So, and they were a shit show before that. So that's fun. Matthew Waller was an employee at the used car lot before the crime was committed. The prosecution questioned him with a line of questioning that makes me think the prosecution is trying to get one step ahead of the defense and keep him off of the finger pointing list. Matthew Waller says that his employment at the used car lot ended in April of 2019, the month before the crime was committed. 
which lines up with his last paycheck, uh, which was on April 29th, 2019. So what? So you think the defense was going to say, oh, it could have been this guy, Matthew, who knows? Yes. So the defense cross-examination started with talking about the partition computer software, like how familiar was Waller with it? And this is where it gets surprisingly juicy for a discussion about passwords. The defense asks him about a specific password, Intel 1988. For the record, Josh Duggar's birth year is 1988. They ask Matthew Waller if he is at all familiar with that password, and he says that it rings a bell. So when the prosecution gets back to talking at uh, talking with Matthew Waller, Dustin Roberts for the prosecution raises his voice at Waller. Reportedly, he reportedly he says, "I thought you were hiding something from me." Wait, who is Dustin Roberts? He is one of the one of the prosecuting attorneys. This is one of those cases where the defense has like three lead attorneys and the prosecution has like three lead attorneys. Oh, okay, 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 okay. I get you. Because on the defense, we have Justin Gelfland and Travis Story. Uh, and then I don't, I haven't memorized the names of the prosecution attorneys yet, but I'm sure I will eventually. So wait, so is this during the direct examination? Is this during his, uh, his testimony where he's being direct examined by the, the prosecutor? Yeah. So the prosecution examines or the prosecution asks her questions and then the defense does a cross-examination and then the prose- then the prosecution gets a redirect. Yes. So on redirect, this is when Roberts yells at him. Because here's the here's what happened. Matthew Waller told the investigators originally that he did not have any knowledge of the password Intel 1988. They they asked what the prosecutors actually asked him was, do you know the password for this computer for the partition? And Waller said, no, I don't know the password. Then the defense team asked him. But like in this was like during discovery before the trial, the defense team asked him, hey, have you ever heard the password Intel 1988? And when the defense gave him the password, he's like, yes, that sounds familiar. It sounds familiar because Josh Duggar used that password for his online banking, his Instagram and a bunch of other things. So that was the password for the partition. And it was the password for probably just the for his shared Instagram with Anna. Yeah, and for his banking, it was his password for everything. So likely it rang a bell because Josh had given him the password for one of those other non-illegal uses. Wow. But the defense like actually gave him the password. And then he's like, yeah, that sounds slightly familiar. So then when the defense asked him on the stand, does this password sound familiar? He said, yes, it sounds familiar because the defense had given it to him. So some people think that the defense coached Waller uh, to say that the password sounded familiar or that they straight up, I think they straight up gave him the information. And then the prosecutor, like the prosecution got him to crack by yelling at him so that he came out with the whole story where the defense gave him the password. So they basically just played themselves. And all it took was the prosecution attorney to get a little bit rough with him. And he just gave it right up. Wow. If I'm understanding it correctly, that's what happened. But that that password is but that password was the password to the the partition. And it was also the password to Josh Duggar's Instagram. It was also his password to his online bank. Like it was probably his password to Ashley Madison. <laughs> I wonder who set up the Linux partition. Hmm. I wonder who set up the Linux partition and put in Josh Duggar's password that has his birth year in it and also 
is his password to his bank and also is his password. <laughs> yeah. He's not a smart man using the same password for literally everything. But that is aside. Oh, God. So after all the Waller password drama, the prosecution calls their next witness. Uh, the next witness is Jeffrey Wofford, who works for Covenant Eyes. If you're just tuning in and you somehow don't know this, Covenant Eyes is the computer software that Josh and Anna used to try to prevent this exact thing from happening. Apparently, Josh has been subscribed to Covenant Eyes since 2013, which should have been a red flag because apparently it didn't prevent him from accessing Ashley Madison in 2015. But basically how this program works is that it, there's a, like websites that if you visit them, it will send an email to your significant other or to well, a, a to predetermined your, other. Yeah. yeah, whoever your accountability partner is. Uh, Covenant Eyes tracks websites. It blocks websites that it knows are bad and websites that are questionable. It sends a picture, like a screenshot of where you what you visited to an accountability partner who can then check on it and see what you were looking at. Yeah. So, but he managed to get around that to go on Ashley Madison. I wonder if he used a Linux partition. Yeah. Or a Tor browser or something else. Yeah. I mean, you don't need a Tor browser to go on Ashley Madison, but. Yeah. But he might've needed that to get around. Oh no, he just needed Linux because Covenant yeah. Eyes doesn't work on Linux. You're right. Yeah. If you just put it on like, I mean, having a partition on your computer, it's like having a separate computer. And Wofford, uh, who works for the company, testified that Covenant Eyes doesn't cover Linux. So uh, that's probably how Josh got around it in 2015. Yeah. And so he knew what to do. Yeah. Uh, he also testified, this is just a little tidbit, but he testified that Josh's Covenant Eyes setting was at mature teen. <laughs> so uh. I don't know. For anybody who's interested, I was interested. <laughs> he didn't even get like like the adult version he got. <laughs> The version that you would set for like your 16 year old if you were a family who uses this. Well, he's a fundy, so. Oh, uh, the next the next witness is Special Agent Jeffrey Pryor of Homeland Security. I think he's going to come back. But this particular time on the stand, he just confirmed uh, that the Internet router was not removed at the time of the raid. And then on lunch break at th on Thursday, we got another memeable moment out of this trial uh, when Justin Duggar left the courtroom and gave the reporters a smile and two thumbs up. This was high-key dumb. It seems like a bad idea. I don't know. He's 19. He's under a lot of intense stress and pressure. Poor kid just got Fundy married, so he just found out what sex was like six months ago, and now he's being exposed to all of this horrible stuff. I feel like this is the kind of dumb thing that I would do under, like, people are taking pictures of me and I don't know what I'm supposed to look like, uh, and then I would lose sleep over it for like two weeks. But also, I think I would have the good sense not to do it in this particular very bad situation. This is very public. Yeah. This is very publicized as well. I see it as immaturity and like a stress reaction. I don't think we read into this how Justin feels about the case. I don't think we read into it what outcome he's looking for because I think this is a this is a dumb thing, not a I don't think he's trying to telegraph what he thinks about the case or or whether he thinks he's going to get his preferred outcome or what outcome he's hoping for. And also, Justin is not going to know the defense. Like, he's not a lawyer. He's not going to be in with, like, the, like, figuring out their legal strategy. He's a 19 year old kid. 
they're not going to let him in on that information. He doesn't know if it's going well or if it's not going well. Right. I think he just did a dumb 19-year-old thing. Yeah, I saw that on the internet. I'm like, what is this kid doing? This is cringe. Well, cousin Amy uh, slammed him for it on Twitter. So the prosecution called two computer experts. One of them was Marshall Kennedy, who works with Homeland Security in the field of forensic computer evidence. Kennedy said that there was no evidence of child sexual assault material found on Josh Duggar's Apple computer or on his iPhone. He said that the HP computer was clearly meant to only be used for work because of the ads and the software that was on it. And he said that the partition was installed on May 11th, 2019. Yeah, so this was after Matthew Waller had already been not working for the car dealership. Yes, this is after Matthew Waller's last check. So they would not like, he's like not even an like a factor here right i think the reason the prosecution called him to begin with was because they thought the defense would try to pin the pin it on him and they wanted to just preemptively get out ahead of that the cross-examination of marshall kennedy asked if he looked at data on the router he said he did not the defense asked about remote access which Kennedy said he did not look into. So once again, with the trying to pin this on Caleb Williams or literally anyone else other than Josh. I do think this would be a good place to bring up something that I saw in general discussion on the Duggar Snark subreddit. What's that? There was a discussion about computers being a popular hobby for IFB boys in the early 2000s. In my experience, that is extremely accurate. As far as I know, the things being discussed in this trial like partitioning, Tor browsers, remote access, those aren't things that just anybody would be able to do. But it is not strange at all to think that Josh Duggar or Caleb Williams would have the knowledge of how to do them. I would point out, though, in the very first season of 19 Kids and Counting, it's shown that Josh has a computer hobby and that the hobby is encouraged by his parents. I was into computers when I was in high school. Um I was a bit of a nerd. Like that was definitely a thing where if you were like, oh, I'm a bit of a computer badass kind of guy, like you would know how to do that. And you're like, oh, I'm really edgy and I'm like really into information security. Like that would be like a thing that you were into. And think about Fundy World. You can have hobbies, but they've got to be like if you're a man, they have to be masculine hobbies. And if you're a woman, they have to be feminine hobbies. So computer stuff got coded as masculine by the Fundies. So that's allowed. So that's allowed, and it was seen as a masculine pursuit. And personally, I think this directly led to Hiles Anderson College opening up graphic design as a major, because there were a lot of those computer boys that ended up getting coerced into going to Hiles Anderson. And I'm sure that like one of the things that they saw was that, oh, well, if you're a fundy man, you know, I mean, you can support uh, a family if you're a, a programmer, I guess. That was sort right. of how it was going to be seen. So that that's a good job. You could be a programmer and then you could tithe to your church. Right. So this was a thing in Fundy World. Uh, so it is, it's not crazy to think that either Josh or Caleb or both could have gained the knowledge of how to do this. Also, it's Fundy World. There's only so few things that, you're, that are approved that you can do. 
So you tend to get really good at your hobbies. Yeah. And also, if there's a way that you can, if there's a hobby that you can have that is approved, but also maybe it gives you access to some things that otherwise may not have been approved. Like if you're into computers, you can figure out, oh, well, here's how I get around these filters. Here's how I get around these blocked things, you know. Right. That gives you a little bit of uh, 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 extra incentive. Right. Um, I knew a boy in Fundyland who used to claim that he had access to a uh, an advanced version of Google that was only for computer programmer dudes. Oh my God. He just knew how to use Google commands, like putting quotes around something or using commas in your Google search. Yeah, people get hella into that. Moving on to the next witness. Uh, the next witness is James Fottrell. Fottrell, how would you say that? Let me see. How is it spelled? F-O-T-T-R-E-L-L. I would say Fottrell. 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 He's the director of the Department of Justice for Child Exploitation. He was involved in reviewing the evidence for this case. This person, James Fottrell, showed the court what it would look like getting into a computer that has been partitioned. He demonstrated that if you had the username and password for the Windows side of the computer, you could log on and use it and never even know that the partition was there. He showed how the partition needed to be physically booted up, and he showed that there was a non-default username and password for the Linux side of the partition. So like when you're starting up the computer, it's like what you have to push a special command to start it up in the partition that otherwise you wouldn't know about. And if you did not know that there was a partition on there, you could just use the computer, send your emails, look at funny cat videos and go on your way and never even know that the partition existed on the device you had just used. The court was shown that on the Linux side, there was a document that had Josh Duggar's name and address and that on that side, there were also thumbnail images for child sexual assault material. Fatrell described these images to the court verbally as they were shown only to the jury. And I think the courtroom's reactions to these images is really worth noting. We remember that some images were shown to the jury during opening arguments. More than one source has reported minimal reaction from the jury. One juror appeared to cover their mouth as if in shock, but not much else from the jury the first time the images were shown. This second round of images brought at least one juror to tears. Another interesting thing about this round of images is that the prosecutor's screen was briefly visible before he turned it off to people in the courtroom gallery directly behind him, which would include Anna Duggar, and she did not visibly react to these images, although she couldn't have avoided seeing them. Mm. I'm going to analyze that for you at the end of this episode after we talk about Friday's happenings, because I have a very strong thought on that. If you want to know how bad these images are, I'm going to give you absolutely no more information, but I will tell you, number one, some of them include shockingly young children. Number two, these particular images are well known among the kind of people who look for this kind of thing, and they are known for being exceptionally violent. If there's just one thing that you want to know to gauge the gravity of this without learning any details, it's that these are not just sexual images. These are images of the torture of children and also sexual content. The focus, the magnifying glass, is on the torture, not the abuse. So if, you are, if you're looking to gauge 
what exactly whoever looked this up was looking for. That's the main thing that you need to know. So with that, court was over for Thursday. The cross-examination of Fatrell will continue Friday morning. So we are going to move on. We're going to talk about the things that happened Friday, December 3rd in this Josh Duggar trial. Uh, What happened Friday? Do you want to take us through that, Sadie? So I'm going to do the roll call of what family members were there. Uh, Derek was there. He was sitting up front with Anna Duggar, as he has been doing. Initially, Austin Forsyth was sitting with them, which is different from other days. There's been a lot of speculation about why he and Joanna have been sitting in the back most of the time. Uh, Today, well, Friday the 3rd, uh, he decided to sit with them until Joanna came in later. Austin excused himself to the back to sit with her because there wasn't room for her in the front row. So we're still on Fatrell's testimony. Started back up with that on Friday morning. Some of some of the, the revelations that we get from this testimony are that Josh Duggar's bank account passwords were revealed to be the same as the partition password. Also, a family Instagram and a family Twitter that used the same Intel 1988 password. Notably, Anna did seem to have an emotional reaction to this. The Sun reporter thought that it was because her personal information was on display, like her email, phone number, and passwords. But obviously, we can't know why she's showing emotion at this part when she didn't show emotion at abuse images that that were seen earlier. Fertrell said that he looked into tools that could have allowed remote access, but that it didn't fit the pattern. This is going to be super crucial to this case. The images were viewed through a video player, and someone would have had to physically turn on the car dealership computer wherever it was located, ostensibly at the car dealership, and open the files. He also testified that the MacBook had evidence of a Tor browser that had been installed at some point and then deleted before the computer was seized by Homeland Security. So I want to uh, take this moment to actually explain what a Tor browser is, what the dark web is. This is something that we talk about, but it's not something that I think that we've really gone into explaining. So uh, a Tor browser, essentially what that is, is it is an internet browser that relays the internet signal off of like three different places so it's like if you're trying to be not traced it sends your web traffic to somewhere else and then it sends it from there to somewhere else and then it sends it from there to somewhere else and then it sends it to where it's trying to go and you need a special browser to be able to do this and there are certain websites that you can only access with this kind of browser. So those, like a regular website will be like .com, .net, .org, .gov, .co.uk or whatever. A dark web website, I think it's .onion, is that right? That's what I was reading earlier, yes. Yeah, so it'll be like whatever, whatever, whatever .onion instead of whatever, whatever, whatever .com. And so there's all sorts of things that you can use this for. I knew people who what they would do is they would have a Tor browser, but all they would really use it for would be to uh, buy Molly on Alibaba using Bitcoin, which I guess was a thing that you could do for a while, but you can't do that anymore, I think. I don't know. I never did this. Yeah, I have never bought Molly on Alibaba using Bitcoin. That seems like a very bad idea, but I knew people who would do it. But apparently, if you want to find child sex abuse images, that's what you have to do. You have to get 
an onion or, or a Tor browser and find them on certain dot onion sites. What came up in the trial is, and I'm sure you can confirm this for us, that not everything that goes on on a Tor browser is necessarily illegal. No. If you are like really weird and paranoid about web security, then maybe you would use it. But also, as we're seeing with this case, just using a Tor browser doesn't mean that you're suddenly able to avoid detection because clearly Josh Duggar did not avoid detection when he was uh, downloading these child sex abuse images. So that's something that the defense brought up, actually. So the defense has made a couple points about this Tor browser that I think are going to be, number one, important, and number two, easily disproven. They have said repeatedly that Josh Duggar does not have the education to use this, which I think is clearly BS because he not he not they are trying to imply that someone else put this partition and Tor browser on his work computer, but there was a Tor browser on his MacBook. And as we will find out in a few minutes, there was also one on his smartphone, which he just downloaded from the Apple store because you can do that. You can do that? Yeah, apparently. I just found this out today. Well, okay. Um, But it it is not a question of him having the ability to download an app from the App Store. The other thing that they've said is, He did have a Tor browser. He just used it for privacy because he's a celebrity and he didn't want paparazzi getting a hold of his web search history. Uh, I don't buy that. I don't either. But that's so. So the defense's defense at this point is he's too dumb to use a Tor browser, but actually he does have one. He just doesn't use it for illegal things. It just seems like they're kind of trying a shotgun approach right here. That I very much see the defense going for a shotgun approach. And let's talk about the thing that is probably going to kill the defense's shotgun approach effectively. What have we got? So we have a detailed timeline that very nearly proved, well, it proves that Josh's phone was being used at the car lot on the day and the time that the child sexual assault material was being downloaded. So this is a thing that a lot of times if they get a warrant for somebody's phone or they get a warrant for uh, phone records or whatever, if it's a cell phone and location data, um, if you get a search warrant for something, it will specifically be limited to certain places, certain areas, things like that. So if they get a search warrant for your home and you have something that's not in your home, they can't search that. They can only search your home. Right. So if if they get a search warrant for your home, but you're hiding whatever they're looking for in your car, unless the search warrant specifies vehicles, they can't look in your car. Exactly. So this is a situation where they must have gotten a search warrant that said, you can only look at communications that were from the location data when he was at this location. So that is what I'm seeing here. That sounds really plausible. I didn't read anything like that, but I I don't I just don't think anybody has looked to see whether that's the case or not. I'm not saying you're incorrect. Well, what they're trying to do with these phone records is they're trying to say, was he here at the same place at the same time that this crime was committed? Because because we have both the IP address and of the router that downloaded this material, and we have the computer that it was downloaded on because there are traces of the material still on the computer, we know that the computer and the router were in the same place, and we know exactly what time each file was downloaded. Okay, so take us through this. So here's the timeline. Um, May 11th, 2019. By the way, The Sun reported on all of this, but they did not put the timeline in order. So I did. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> 
2019, 5.47 p.m., Linux was downloaded to the HP computer at the car lot. I'm assuming it was already partitioned or that that was part of the partition process. I'm not sure how that works. May 11th, 2019, 5.58 p.m., a photo was taken of a car at the car lot by Josh Duggar's iPhone. And May 11th, 2019, 5.59 p.m., text sent to Joshua Williams, who was a current employee at the time, discussing a car. So the phone was at the car lot at the same time as the Linux program was or operating system was downloaded. So May 13th, 2019. Two days later. Two days later, Tor was downloaded to the Linux side of the partition computer and a photo was taken by Josh's iPhone at the car lot. So we are already seeing a pattern that Josh's phone is present in the location where these things are happening. The What they're also going to need to do is show that it was him using his phone because you know that's what the, def- the defense is going to come up with. Because all these fundies use each other's phones. It's creepy and weird. Do they? Yeah, it's a thing. That's a thing? That's weird. Yeah, it's a, it's a thing. Like in the real world, if your friend needs, so if you're standing by your friend and their phone is across the room or charging or whatever and they need to Google something, you don't go here, use my phone because that's weird. Um, but in Fundy world, that's normal because the idea is nobody has anything on their phone that they wouldn't want anybody else to see. So the, that is, that is a weird cultural quirk that I just, so this is the kind of thing, this is why I'm talking about this because this is the kind of thing you would only know if you grew up in this world. So the prosecution is going to have to show that it was him using the phone. I do think they do this effectively. Moving on, May 14th, 2019, there was a photo taken by the phone in Tonytown, not at the car lot. And then May 14th, 2019 at 4.49 p.m., there was a text that said, I got stuck here, meaning the car lot that that whoever had the phone, presumably Josh, presumably texting Anna, was stuck at work. May 14th, 2019, torrent files of child sexual abuse material were downloaded on the Linux side of the partitioned HP computer. Uh, One file at 5.28 p.m., one file at 5.38 p.m. So this is right after he said that he was... Got stuck here, yeah. Uh, That is 39 minutes later. Uh, 5.41 p.m., there was a movie downloaded to the HP computer. Was not able to find out through any of the sources I've been looking at whether it was downloaded to the Windows side or the Linux side or like what the deal was with that, what kind of movie or anything. Uh, it does show that somebody was sitting at the computer, though. May 14th, 2019, 5.48 p.m., there was a text sent to a customer about a Versa at the car lot from Josh's iPhone. Uh, May 14th, 6.04 p.m. and 6.07 p.m. photos of the car lot were taken on his phone. And then May 14th, 2019, 8.14 p.m., a selfie of Josh at Lowe's was taken by his phone. So this is showing he has his phone. He's using it. This He's been using it all day. Yeah. So he or- he has, unless, some, unless he went by the car lot to get his phone in barely over two hours and then made it all the way out to Lowe's, he's the person who's been using his phone all day at the car lot at the same time as torrent files of abuse images were being downloaded. Pretty clear. Uh, Two more days. May 15th, 2019. 11.15 a.m. There was a text from Josh's phone saying, I'm at the car lot. I will be here until 1 o'clock p.m. And then an additional text to say, we'll be back. Uh, Between 11 a.m. and noon, multiple torrent files were downloaded. And the torrent files that you specified earlier, those are our child sex abuse materials. Yeah. May 15th, between 3.55 and 5.08 p.m., there were several texts sent. 
one about praying for a man who was in a car accident, another stating that Josh would be at the car lot until 6 p.m. A text at 11.15, multiple downloaded between 11 a.m. and noon, several more texts between 3.55 p.m. and 5.08 p.m., multiple torrent files of child sexual abuse material, videos uh, were downloaded to the computer. Five files between 5 and 6 p.m. And then 5.58 p.m. and 5.59 p.m., two texts sent saying that he would be at the car lot for a while because he still had customers. Uh, Then moving on to the next day, May 16th, 2019, at 11.33 a.m., one of the videos that he downloaded, or one of the videos that was downloaded, I should... I should try to be correct. One of the videos that was downloaded, uh, there was a thumbnail image file created for that video. At 11.35 a.m., two minutes later, a photo of a car was taken at the car lot by Josh's phone. So somebody was looking at those videos and taking photos at the car lot with Josh's phone two minutes apart, which seems pretty damning. Like, And, and then at uh, 12.56 yeah. p.m., a text sent Josh saying he can't go to Lowe's because he has a customer at the car lot. So one hour, well, hour and 20 minutes later. I like I, I don't know how he gets out of this. I don't either. Um, to sew this up with a very nice little Christmas bow on it, Fatral was asked by the prosecution, who was present at the car lot every time that child sexual abuse materials were downloaded? And his answer to the question was, Josh Duggar. And I'm sure if they try to pin this on somebody else, all that person, like all the prosecution would have to do was say, were you at the car lot at all of these times? And if they don't like, if they don't know, if they don't remember, or if they like don't have, all they can do is they can say, well, we can look at your phone location data, find that out. Right. And and I believe I have heard back and forth, like in in chit chat, like on the subreddit, that Caleb Williams can prove that he was not in the state during at least some of those days, which uh, sounds right. But I'm not I I don't have a real solid source on that. But I'm I'm that makes I mean, surely he will have an alibi for one of five different days. Josh is probably going to be like, I was at Lowe's all the time and I forgot my phone or something like that. That's. I think the the next thing the defense does is try to I'm saying defense like defense like it's football because because I'm a southern girl. So y'all please excuse me. I'm doing my best. I do think the next thing they're going to say is, "Oh, well, someone else was using Josh's phone just because it was his phone doesn't mean that he was there." Uh which in Fundy World is true, but I I'm not I don't think this is going to work. Yeah, also does he have an iPhone where it's like unlock with your face? He has an iPhone 11. Yeah, so that Those one's going to have be... the ability to face unlock. Yeah, I mean, that's how they have it. I'm sure that's how he has it set up. I don't think they're going to have to do it because there is one more extremely damning thing that comes out directly after this. Oh, what's that? So continuing with Patrol's testimony, he apparently was on the stand for a while on Thursday and then the entire day on Friday. So this guy has a lot of information for us. He said that Tor was also downloaded to Josh Duggar's iPhone, uh, like I told you, and that the Tor browser was used to view non-psychopath adult pornography on several dates, including on October 16th, 2019 at 2.15 a.m., on October 19th, 21st, and 22nd, and then on November 2nd, 7th, and 8th of 2019, which in my opinion shows that Josh Duggar was in the habit of using a Tor browser to view legal sexual images on his devices, which makes it seem more likely that if he 
wanted to view illegal sexual abuse images, that he would do so using a Tor browser because that was already what he was doing while his pregnant wife was sleeping. Which like not great. Yeah. Not not great, especially in Fundy World. Mm. So cross-examination of Fatrell. <clears throat> Justin Gelflin for the for the defense. Uh, he said, Gelflin said that only eight devices were seized by law enforcement in this case, when it is more typical that law enforcement seizes 30 to 40 devices in a case of this type. Uh, Gelflin asked Fatrell about any child sexual abuse materials on the MacBook or on the iPhone. Fatrell said, if it was there, I would find it. And that he did not find those materials on either device. 100% of the child sexual abuse material was on the Linux side of the partitioned HP computer. So like Josh Duggar knows that this stuff is like super bad. This stuff is napalm and he can't have it connected to him. So he's trying to look it up on the computer that he feels like is least connected to him or has the most plausible deniability if he gets in trouble for it oh that is that's a factor i didn't even think about really i well i was thinking like he wouldn't do it on his personal devices at home because he you know he can wiggle his way out of it if his wife catches him watching legal sexual content well yeah because he's done it before and lord knows how many times she's caught him doing that like it's probably a lot more than we know. I'm sure. That he can wiggle his way out of that, but he thinks he can't do it at home because he can't wiggle his way out of illegal content. Um, but the idea of doing it where he has plausible deniability is way creepier and probably more accurate. That was the first thing that, that popped into my head is that uh, this guy's awful. trying, he's trying to do it. at a Well, think about it. When, when they came and arrested him, he said, did somebody download a uh, uh, child sexual abuse images onto this computer and that was like the first thing that popped into his head but he's like somebody who isn't me that was the whole thing where he it was a computer that wasn't owned by him that other people would have had access to so he could say well it could have been anybody that makes total sense and i hate it because oh i hate it too i mean that just it makes this premeditated not that a moment of weakness is any excuse to ever do something like what he allegedly did. It's not a moment of weakness. He's doing it like three times in a single day, man. He's insatiable. Right. It, it's not... Okay, not that that would ever be an excuse or a valid reason for somebody to do what he allegedly did, but that this is worse than that somehow because he planned... He downloaded a Tor browser and then came back the next, then uh, f several days later. He planned to do it on the computer that is least connected to him where there's plausible deniability. I just, I hate that. I hate that not only would somebody seek out and consume this kind of images, but that they would plan days ahead of time to do it. Well, you've got to get into the mind of somebody like this, right? Because he's been caught before, he's been in trouble before, and he knows that, like, he he's been able to wiggle his way out of it before without really getting into any serious legal trouble um, except for of course having to pay out of court settlements and having to go to Jesus fixed me camp Yeah, but this is a situation where he knows if he gets caught doing this then that's it that is like prison time that is like he he's done He if he gets yeah. caught he's done so you have to be a, like if you're going to kill somebody say you're going to go murder somebody and you're going to premeditate that you're going to murder somebody you're going to plan that out so you don't get caught 
right? Yeah. If you're planning on commit, if you're like, if you are a criminal and you are planning to do something that you know is illegal and that you know somebody is going to get you in trouble for, you are going to take steps to try and figure out how you don't get caught. So that's why he's doing this on the Tor browser is because he's like, I want to do this in a way that I won't get in trouble for it. He's trying to do it on a Tor browser on a computer that is as least connected to him as possible so that he has the plausible deniability so that he can point the finger at somebody else and have reasonable doubt and say it wasn't me it was this guy but the thing that we're talking about here is that josh duggar is not a smart man he is the 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 defense has one thing right about him in other words (laughs) yeah they do so basically what he doesn't know is that they can like track his phone. They can figure out where he is, when he is. They can get a warrant for that and they can figure out, okay, well, this was you at this place at this time. And this is the time when this was being done. So what are you going to do about it? Like he, he, he can't be like, it wasn't me. You know, he can't do the R. Kelly defense. It wasn't me. Well, you were in your phone was in the same room with whoever it was. Horrible, abusive stuff. Like, what what are you fucking doing here? Let's continue with the defense grasping at straws. So Gelfland asked about the router, saying that the IP address comes from the router, not the device. He claimed that Fatrell had never done forensic analysis on the router. He raised his voice at Fatrell at one point. I don't know where the defense is going with this because the images were found on the computer and they were linked to the IP address by the peer-to-peer program managed by Detective Calmer. So I don't know the computer and the IP address have the same images connected with them. The computer, because they they were physically there, although they had been deleted, you know, you can't delete things off computers without a lot of technical knowledge. I think what he's trying to do here is trying to confuse the jury because he's going to assume some of them don't know how computers work and that all of the stuff about the router and the computer being different thing and they did the analysis on this and they didn't do the analysis on this. He's going to try to confuse them. He's going to assume that some of them don't know how computers and routers and and internet works. That's what he's doing here. No, you're right. I do think he's trying to confuse them. Apparently, Fatrell said on the stand at one point today, uh, I think you're being misleading to either Gulfland or Travis Story, the other attorney. Yikes. Yeah, that this is, this trial is, is this trial is extremely sassy, which I am honestly thankful for because I feel like we need every bit of humor when it's in an appropriate spot. Uh, speaking of humor, cousin Amy has been getting pretty messy on Twitter and Instagram, claiming that she was never told the whole truth about what was going on with Josh. I would keep an eye on her accounts if I were you. It seems like she's at a breaking point of some kind and she is really ready to share some tea, not just about the terrible, awful, bad stuff, but also just like the Duggar secrets I think are about to come out. Um, On the topic of terrible, awful, bad stuff, though, she said that she was told that Josh went on a missions trip when he was really at Fix Me Jesus Boot Camp. Really? Yeah. Also, speaking of things that are not terrible, Joy Anna brought Anna Duggar coffee during the trial on Friday and gave her a hug, which honestly seems like a very nice thing for Joanna to do. Yes. I don't want to read so much into strangers' actions, but also that feels like the kind of thing that I would have done as a fundy. Like, somebody had really hurt me or somebody had believed someone who had been abusive towards me and supported them for years. And then uh, I would have made a very public show of support by putting myself in a servant position, bringing them coffee when they were very much in a public space. That would have been my logic as a fundy. 
that that would have been a a really big peace offering and a an expression of humility. So I don't know oh. if that's what's going on with Joanna. Um, doing nice things for your family is certainly normal, and I don't want to just ascribe my own motives to strangers. But if if I were in Joanna's uh, admittedly pretty cute shoes, that would have been my train of thought. I can tell you that. I'm glad that we have you here to really go into like funding mindset for like how this the, the like the internal politics of this stuff works because to me none of this stuff makes any sense and it's nice to have you to decode it. See, I think that's why we cover stuff like this trial, because anybody can spend a couple hours compiling sources like we did today and present 90% of the information. But I've studied fundy culture as a culture for quite a few years, and that's the kind of thing that, that perks up my attention. Well, you were raised in it. Right. Well, yeah. And then after coming out, I've looked at it from a very scientific point of view, because that's how I work with it. So what do we have next to talk about? Uh, Gelfland brought up another point after after talking about the router. Um, this is where we get to talk about the live thumb drive that we discussed earlier. There's an app called Rufus. It's a Windows app that can create these live USB flash drives, thumb drives that are bootable. Uh, Fatrell says that this app was installed to the HP computer and the thumb drive was plugged in on May 13th, 2019. So right in the same time as all of the images were downloaded. This is the defense setting up for what we're going to hear from them next week. They're going to claim that somebody else plugged in that flash drive thumb drive. Gelfland also brought up another point that the defense has already made. Tor isn't illegal. Plenty of people use it for privacy reasons. The defense has floated that Josh used Tor because he's a celebrity and wanted privacy. Personally, I think this would hold a lot more water if that idiot didn't use the same password for everything, including his celebrity Instagram. So the, the, the rest of this is like more torrent, more on torrents, remote access, Tor, device passwords. Gelfland really stressed that the same password was the Intel 1988 was used for Duggar family Facebook accounts, Twitter accounts. It was used as far back as 2014 and that that password was shared with many people, which makes sense because there are probably multiple people managing the Duggar family social media accounts and not even all of them are part of the family, likely. Gelfland asked Fatral if he had analyzed the phones of other Carla employees like Randall Berry, William Myers, Caleb Williams. Fatral said no because he didn't have access to those phones. Uh, about the router, Fatral said on prosecution redirect that routers don't contain useful information. They just keep track of the devices that are connected to them. He said that analyzing the router wouldn't change his findings in this case. He also said that the person who used Tor on this computer, the HP specifically, only used it to access child sexual abuse materials, period. Like that's what they had this computer for. That's what they set up this partition for. Yeah, the the partition, the Tor browser only used that for this thing. Uh, A photograph was shown that was allegedly a reflection of Josh Duggar in the computer screen of the HP 45 minutes before Tor was downloaded. So like somebody took a picture and you could see the reflection of whoever was taking the picture or you could see the reflection of someone else in the room in the computer screen. The person in the photo had the correct like shape and size to be Josh and they were wearing a red hat and Josh was photographed later the same day wearing a red hat. Not proof proof, but it's definitely a point in the prosecution's favor. That's him using that computer on that day. Him in the same room as that computer on that day. Yeah. Oh, okay. 
Uh, Gelflin came back to continue cross-examining. He raised his voice again, uh, asking about how many devices were seized. Fatrell said, again, they had enough devices with what they did seize, and they didn't need the router. Uh, Gelflin said, this is a quote from the sun, uh, Gelflin said no one had a clue if they had the right devices and that the the detectives needed them all, and then said that whoever put the, lo- the live thumb drive into the computer is the one who downloaded the materials. Fatrell also said that someone would have to be present with the HP to physically turn it on for remote access to be possible. So if someone was remotely using that computer, the person who was in the room and turned the computer on would see on the screen what the other person was viewing. If Josh Duggar just innocently bungled into the room at his office one day and turned on the computer and some criminal guy was remotely using his computer and seeing his screen, Josh Duggar would have seen that there were these images on his screen and could have had the sense to call the police. Yeah, well, that's what a reasonable person would have done. Yes. They would have said, oh, there, there's this horrible thing on my computer. I need to... I don't know why it's here. I should call somebody. This is the worst thing that I've literally ever seen in my life. And I'm fairly certain that this is illegal. I need to... Yeah. Ooh. So that is the end of trial day three on Friday. The judge told the courtroom that the trial will likely go to Wednesday or Thursday of next week. Um, I don't put a lot of weight into that because the judge said that the trial would be over by Friday. So uh, it looks like this is getting dragged out a little bit. I have seen that Bobby was supposed, Bobby Holt was supposed to testify today and was present at the courthouse, but they clearly did not get to her testimony today. So I am assuming and hoping that she and Jill will likely testify on Monday. Yeah. Fatrell just like, I mean, he just went on for like a marathon. He He had a worth of information. So he gave it and he was really like he's really i think the make or break guy in this case he's the guy that has the the information about the the data from the computer uh, about the the location data and the timeline like the 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 timeline timeline is the thing that really sells it for me uh so i have a question i don't know if you have an opinion on this do you think that the prosecution is using a strategy here by pushing out into the weekend without resting their pace like, could the prosecution have purposely brought enough witnesses and asked enough questions so that the jury will have two days to sit and think about the awful, awful things that they have seen and heard, but maybe they won't have a full weekend to sit and think about what the defense has to say? I mean, they could. That's that's an interesting idea. You know, I'm, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a prosecutor, so I don't know about these strategies. That seems like that might be a smart idea if, if you were a prosecutor. But the one thing that I have to say about that is that the defense could definitely do that, too. They, the defense, when they right. get to present their case, they could always, you know, stretch out their their witness testimonies and call more witnesses and really try to end Friday on something of a bang and then yeah. go into the weekend with that. I just seeing from what I've seen in this case, I don't think that the defense is going to have anybody that can really, you know, drop the kind of bombs on the prosecution that they've been dropping on Josh Duggar. I like, I I just don't see it. We said months ago, the feds have a like high nineties percentile conviction rate. Yeah. And like it, it seems like here, you know, like the, the defense is really going to have to pull something out of the bag to that that nobody saw coming for uh, Josh Duggar to escape conviction on this. I I think they have like they have him. I certainly think they're going to try. They are going to. It's like they're getting desperate here. That's the thing. 
That that's what I'm seeing. Yeah, they are. I I totally agree. I want to note that I saw a photo of Josh and Anna leaving court. And for the first time, Josh looks awful. Uh, he has been so disgustingly smug throughout this trial. He has been joking around with family members, smiling into the camera for his temperature check. Very bright and sunny disposition. And the photos of him leaving court, he looks terrified. You think it's set in? I think it's set in. He looks sick. He looks like he has not slept. And I don't know if I should feel bad because that brought me so much joy, but it did. Look, I mean, this is the thing that I'm thinking about here, though, is that this is a man, you know, he didn't really have any real consequences when he molested his sisters. Uh, he went to Jesus Fixed Me Camp, um, but there was no real, like, but they didn't really. There was no permanent consequence. There was a few weeks or months of discomfort, but then he came home and nothing really changed. I mean, what what really should have happened there was they should have like gotten in, him into some serious therapy and really like taken a look at the, what the way that their lifestyle is uh, is creating this as a problem. And that especially because he was still a minor when he did that. But you know, he didn't have any consequences for the Ashley Madison thing. He didn't have any consequences really for the for what him getting caught on all of these dating apps and him claiming that he had a quote unquote pornography addiction. Uh, he didn't have any consequences for when he uh, beat up Danica Dillon and uh, allegedly, uh, I yeah, allegedly, I 100% believe that he did it. I just don't absolutely. Want to there, there. In my mind, he did that shit. My opinion is that he absolutely did it. Yeah, I, th I think he did it. Um, he had, but he had no consequences for that except for having to probably pay a big out-of-court settlement i don't think he paid it i think jim bob did yeah his or his i mean this is a situation where his daddy can't come in and save the day for him and right he's even if he gets elected to, to state senate there's going to be nothing he can do this is the biggest crime that he's ever been accused of and and it's the one that he's finally going to go down for it's probably the one that he's finally going to go down for and he could face 20 years in prison for this yeah and i i really don't i have kind of very conflicted feelings about the joy in my heart seeing him look terrified seeing him look awful but i also felt a lot of joy when i saw that same look on jack scott's face coming up on 10 years ago and i'm not gonna judge myself too harshly for that and i'm not gonna spend a lot of time trying to figure out if that makes me a bad person or not i'm just gonna i'm gonna, I'm gonna enjoy it for today because if if he is proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt and he does go to jail or to prison this is a victory for a lot of people and not just the people he personally victimized. This is a moral victory for a lot of people. There's so many people who have been abused in this system who have like their abusers have never, ever, ever. And will never. Ever. Yeah. Nothing's ever happened to them. And they've uh, been made to apologize for being abused and apologize to the people who have abused them while the people who have abused them have gone on to continue having uh, uh, influential and massive roles within their community and continue to be respected people while you know the people that they abused were you know treated as a uh, pariah for stepping out and, and speaking against them and this is a victory for all of those people if he is in fact convicted which i sincerely hope he will because it really seems to me like he did it i yeah i i, I went into this trial probably 90 percent sure that he did it of course i thought he did and felt that he did but i did i wanted to see what the proof was before i fully jumped on the he did it send him to jail train um at that timeline is that's that's good enough for me 
personally and and i i hope that the i hope that the jury will feel 100% confident in their decision i hope that justice will be done yeah the one thing that i was going to say is that if he goes to prison for this that means that he's probably going to be in solitary because they put like if you are a pedophile- unless yeah unless he goes to there are certain prisons that are safer for the type of criminal that he is if you are like a pedophile if you're like a sex offender that type of thing they put you in protective custody because otherwise you get fucking murdered i've been reading this this uh website that is supposed to help people who are going to prison prepare for it it's been bringing me some joy (sighs) okay so uh let the last thing i want to talk about that's that's all we have for the trial uh, the the jury selection pretrial hearing in first three days of the trial. Before we move on, I just want to say that uh, prison is only for people who are guilty and who deserve it. And Josh Duggar is one of them. There's lots of people who have been wrongfully convicted. Yeah. No, you're so right. I'm usually like release all the people on uh, marijuana possession, any drug possession, really, and in- and include the marijuana distribution charges. Yeah. Just just release them all if that's if that's their only. <laughs> charge if, if somebody's doing 10 years for having a joint non-violent people man non-violent people don't need to be- non-violent especially possession yeah i'm so against having those people in prison to begin with but we do know that josh duggar is a violent abuser and a violent offender so he you know he deserves right it. like usually i'm i'm i am anti-carceral ish and then somebody like Josh Duggar or Jack Scott comes along and I'm like, nope, throw him in jail. Yeah. I mean, we need prisons for some people. That's the thing. Like not for anywhere near as many people as we've got now, but like we need them for some people and people like Josh Duggar. I've been following, yeah. And I've been following uh, abolitionists on Twitter and Instagram as I continue to learn. And some of the things that are that it's uh, a lot of people have conflicting feelings about this. A lot of people want to talk about prison reform or abolition, but then there are some people that you snap right back to throw them in jail. And that's a pretty common sentiment to hold. This is one of the reasons why when I say that I don't like ideology, this is what I'm talking about. I'm like, you know what? Most of the time, yeah, like we lock up way too many people for shit that they don't need to be locked up for. But people like this, man, throw throw away the key. Anyway, we need to move on to our closing analysis. What do you have to say, Sadie? So- I just want to talk about one thing that I've seen repeated a lot that I have an additional perspective on that I wasn't able to work into our episode outline. And that is Anna's perceived detachment during this case. Anna has been seen sitting very stoic during large parts of this case, not having any emotion on her face at all, um, that you can, at least none that you can see with her mask on. She's also been seen smiling uh, or making a smile-like facial expression leaving the courthouse. She's been described as sitting stone-faced as the titles of pornography that denote violence were read and as the titles of child sexual abuse material and the descriptions of them were read. On Thursday, when the second round of images were shown to the jury, it was reported that the prosecutor's screen was briefly visible to the gallery and Anna was sitting right behind the screen where she would hardly have been able to avoid seeing some of these images and she did not react. So there's a lot of speculation that Anna may be medicated and I don't think this is a bad theory because I think the idea that Michelle is on some zannies or something is a good theory, a plausible theory. Imagine being married to Josh Duggar and not just like absolutely <laughs> not just wanting to be zoned out. Not just barred like 24/7. 
you know, just right? like four bars deep, just 24-7. I don't know. Like, I don't think this is a bad theory at all. I would offer an alternate theory. What's that? I would suggest that people go back and listen to our episode with Heather Heath, the author of Lovingly Abused, about, and especially where we talk about craving trauma. If you have her book, take a look at the chapter titled Craving Trauma. Uh, she's talked about, and we've talked about together, feeling most at peace when you are in the midst of personal upheaval and chaos because that is what the cult, the IFB and the IBLP train into you. They teach you that this is when God is near and this is when everything is okay, is when your life is falling apart. I think there may be a factor of that. And there's also the fact that the IBLP teaches women specifically to suppress emotion, to always show that happy and positive exterior. Like I've talked about many times, the effect that that had on me was becoming very good at suppressing emotion. Now, in my real world life, many years out, I typically do show emotion, but there have been times in my real world life where I used that skill that I learned over 20 years in a cult to completely remove reactions from other people. Uh, And it has been a defense mechanism for me through some very difficult scenarios where um, instead of experiencing or paying attention to or reacting to what was going on around me, I just shut it down and went blank and was able through the tools that the cult taught me to turn off my emotions like a faucet. I try not to practice this because I believe that teaching that kind of emotion control is abusive. And I would rather feel my emotions in the moment because I believe that's healthier. But in extreme situations and in some dangerous situations in the past, I have used that technique. And I think that's what she's doing. Really? Yeah, I Mm. think she has just turned it off it's a skill i mean it's a skill that you have to have it's a skill that the that the cult very blatantly teaches it's a skill i'm sure that she has because this this has got to be the most disastrous time of her life and just the fact that she just has zero reaction to any of it i think that's how she's doing it i think she's relying on the training that she's received she's got to know that whatever she does you know, whatever reaction that she has, that's going to be picked apart and picked to pieces by people in the media, by basically by us. Whatever she does or doesn't do is going to be picked to pieces by us and all of the other people who are on the internet who are talking about this and all of the people who are um, uh, the, the journalists, you know, the people from the sun, the, the from the tabloids, from the newspapers, from the TV news. Everybody's going to be wondering what is she doing with her face? So it's better to just have zero reaction at all because that gives them nothing to talk about. Yeah. And I think for a person who didn't have the cult background that she does, having zero reaction might be more difficult than it is for her. I think she's able to draw on those skills to project that uh, zero emotion. So we are going to, I think we're going to wrap up this episode let's, now. Yeah. Yep, let's wrap this one up. I think we've had enough. Yeah. I, I just want to say uh, thank you to Sadie for... Uh, She's really been the one who kind of she's been reading through a lot of she knows that a lot of this stuff is really troubling to me to interact with. So she's almost been kind of like filtering it for me. So she's like, this is what you yeah. you need to see. And this is what you don't need to see. And so I haven't I haven't read any of the descriptions of any of this stuff. And listeners, if you've seen it, I've seen it. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. If you've seen it, I've seen it. That's my point, though. Uh, th- 
Number one, you're welcome. I appreciate the thanks. Thank you so much. Number two, that's my point, though. How in the world do you think I'm able to read the things that I've read over the last week and turn on a dime, excuse me, turn on a dime and make dinner for my husband or play with my baby? I just don't have that skill. And I'm, you know, I'm glad because you weren't raised because you weren't raised Nicole. Yeah, I the, the, the way that I am coping with this is allowing myself to feel that detachment when I read these things and when I talk about these things, allowing myself maybe to dissociate a little bit because I've honestly, I've had the best week with my kid this week. She's standing up. We've had a really, we've had a really happy week. She's working on standing. She's doing so amazing. And I'm using the same skills that Anna Duggar is. And that's why I think I recognized it. I also want to say that you've been a real trooper uh, for recording this episode when you've got like a bad cold. Uh, so I really appreciate that as well. You're going to, you guys watch for our episode on Monday. Our episode on Monday is it's a true crime episode. Next Saturday, we're going to have a summary of week two of the Duggar trial. And then after that, we have uh, a, one that's going to be a bit of a more fun episode. And then there's going to be Christmas break for a week. And then after that, we're going to have our last episode of the year. Uh, so keep your eyes open. Also, we're going to have a special episode just for the patrons that is going to come out uh, later this month. It's going to be our Christmas slash Hanukkah special episode. Uh, we're yep. going to review and watch a movie it'll be super fun so make sure that you're if you're a patron that you stay tuned for that as always uh you can uh if you like our podcast the best way that you can support us is by recommending the show to your friends and your family or your enemies if you think that they would benefit from it um sadie would you like to plug your social media sure you can follow me on instagram at sadie carpenter music you can follow me on twitter at hell yes sadie or you can follow me on tiktok at sadie carpenter one uh, you can follow the podcast on uh, on Facebook and Instagram at Leaving Eden Podcast, on Twitter at Leaving Eden Pod. You can join our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. You can uh, join our subreddit, which is going to be reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. And you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Clubhouse at G-A-V-R-I-E-L-H-A-C-O-H-E-N. Uh, you guys have a great day. Uh, bye-bye. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.